Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So I want to get into uh, the sermon today because I'm in a mood. And um, yeah, uh-oh. Uh, I'm just in a mood. And I, sometimes I get this way when, when God's got something for me to say. And give me permission to say it today in love. And, and I, when I say that, I'm not saying give me permission. I'm saying give yourselves permission to hear it and hear what I'm saying and hear my heart and not just think about it through the lens of your own experience and then get offended. You know what I'm saying? So when I was in the seventh grade, there was a kid named... Well, let's just use the name Biff. He was a junior, and he was an overgrown kid. I I swear, he was so big, it looked like he'd been in the eighth grade eight times. But Biff didn't like me. I don't know why, he just didn't like me. He used to bully me in the hallway as we passed each other going to class. And I came from a small town. We we didn't have a, a middle school, and so as... As a young guy, I learned pretty quickly to just not lip off to upperclassmen just to get to class. That's what we did. Put your head down and get to class. I hit my growth spurt pretty early, so I was pretty good size for my age. I was a big seventh grader. Everybody caught up to me later, and then I wasn't so big. But, and maybe that's why he picked on me. Anyway, he, he would hit me or hit, hit or kick my books, I guess. Uh, out of my hands and then kick them down the hallway. Has that ever happened to any of you? Just start kicking them down the hallway. Everyone's laughing. You're the little kid trying to pick them up. He'd hip check me into the wall of lockers. And, and he always wore these big steel-toed boots too. And they just uh, made him look even more intimidating. I wouldn't say that I was living in fear or anything, but I, but I would try to avoid him if I could. And then it got worse. I was walking down the stairs and he was following me one day and I, I didn't realize that he was moving a lot quicker than, than me and, and he got right behind me on this set of stairs and it was a full set of stairs and he kicked me in the head. Yes, with those big honking steel-toed boots. And it caused me and all my books to fall down the stairs which happened to be pretty crowded by other students. My books were all over. I was rolling down the stairs. Kids were laughing. It was that kind of deal. And I'm not going to lie, it hurt. Because usually when I feel pain, uh, it changes instantly to anger with me. Can anybody relate to that? It hurts for a millisecond, and it goes right to... You know what I'm saying? That's how I deal with pain. Well... I've worked on that since then, and, and I, I hope you realize that. But, but that day, my emotions began to take over. All of the bullying, all of the laughing at me, all the ridiculing, all the kicking my books down the hallway, and other kids pointing and laughing. My anger was boiling over. I was red-faced. I was raging mad. I could feel the anger flexing my muscles. Anybody ever feel that before? No, you know that? Have you ever watched The Hulk? It's similar. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I'm always angry, right? <laughs> no. I was red-faced, raging man. I could feel that anger flexing my muscles. 
That rage, it tilted my head, gritted my teeth, squinted my eyes. The rage did that. I didn't do that. The rage did that. And I set my jaw in a way that, man, this was it. I picked up my things, looked up, and there he was 30 feet down the hallway. I mean, I was, it, it was done. I was done with this. It would be over in just a few seconds. And as I was just about ready to take my first running step and nail him so hard in the back and complete my mission of revenge, another guy, a really, really big guy, a really muscular guy, even bigger than Biff, let's call him George. I mean, this guy was huge. He was known in the school for, for his Hulk Hogan toughness and his elite Rambo-like fighting skills. He grabbed my shoulder just as I was taking off, and he said, you okay, little Benny? That's what they called me back then, little Benny. I don't know why. I think there was a comedian named Benny Hill, so I was little Benny or something like that. But they called me little Benny. He said, you okay, little Benny? And, and uh, George, the superhero I'm talking about here, um, I knew him. It was the, the summer before my seventh grade year, George and I worked together. And truly, the, the fights that, he was a big guy, like I said, the fights that he finished were legendary in my junior high mind. George was strong as an ox, and nobody, I mean nobody, messed with George. But George liked me, and I don't really know why? I, I didn't really know how much he liked me or how much he cared for me or cared about me uh, until that moment. And I kind of figured I was just another dorky seventh grader to him. But he said to me, you okay, little Benny? And he goes, has Biff been picking on you? And I said, yeah, but I can handle it. And then he said, that's why I like you. You work hard. We worked on the farm together. And he, so he saw I worked hard. And he goes, you ain't no pansy either, is what he said. He said, don't worry about Biff anymore, I'll take care of it. I don't know much after that church except for this. The next time I saw Biff in the hallway, he looked at me with full eye contact and then proceeded to physically go as far away from me as he could possibly go to the other side of the hallway. <laughs> he was now avoiding me. And I hadn't done anything to retaliate. I hadn't done anything to warn him or I didn't threaten him in any way. I did nothing. And guys, please don't read into what I'm saying this morning. If someone's bullying you, tell the proper authorities that's what you should do, okay? I, I need to make that clear, period. You gotta tell somebody. Personally, back then, I, I didn't ask for George to do anything. I, I, I didn't take matters into my own hands. I didn't tell any of the school officials about it. Today, Biff would have been charged with assault, and rightfully so. Back then, in the small town I came from, you were, you were just left to kind of try to figure it out yourself. And that being said, my problem was solved, and I went on with life, not fully realizing the real-life illustration it would be for me years later. So we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, you know, last week we talked through the Beatitudes, we talked through anger, we talked through adultery and lust, and then last week we talked about divorce and remarriage. All of these subjects are hard subjects. All of these are difficult to preach. I want to tell you why they're difficult to preach. Because people don't want to hear it. You offend people when you talk the words of Jesus, when you preach the words of Jesus. People get offended very easily. Well, are you talking about me personally? Are you singling me out in the congregation? No. 
This is a series and we're going over the uh, words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But people don't want to hear it because you know what? We're so good at justifying our sins and then acting like they aren't really sin. We're so good at comparing ourselves to someone else who's worse than us and then saying, I'm pretty good myself, so I'm good. I don't have to change. I want to say something very clearly, and I'm going to set my jaw this morning. I'm not angry. But every single person in this room needs to know this. You are not finished changing yet. You are not ready. You're not done. You're a masterpiece in progress. But God's still working on you. And the second you think you're done, you are done. Understand what I'm saying? It's over. You have to be striving to see these things, to take good long looks in the mirror. I don't have these in my notes. You have to take good long looks in the mirror and say, who am I really? How am I really living? What am I really justifying in my life? That's the point of the master class being taught by the master teacher. Not, not me, but Jesus, the master teacher, teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Everything he said was so hard-hitting. And we feel that as we've put these sermons together. I know the, those that have put the, uh, the, uh, the videos together for our life groups have felt the same way. It's like, oh, it's so tough. But Jesus goes on in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this in chapter 5, verse 38 through 42, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would uh, sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. So let's be clear about what Jesus was saying here and why he was saying it. And I like how the message version interprets this portion of scripture. I'm gonna read the first uh, verse to you there, verse 38 in the message. It says this, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. It says it perfectly. That's really the intent behind how Jesus said it when you look into the, the, the logistics of, of where he said it, how he said it, who he was saying it to, and the historical backdrop of it. He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The old saying, or you've heard it said, Jesus is making the point here. He says, you've heard it said. He doesn't say the law of Moses says he says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. And I bring this up to you because you can go to Exodus 21 and you can go to Leviticus 24 or Deuteronomy 19 and read verbatim the words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what was written in the law to be a deterrent, and hear me, a deterrent from people taking matters into their own hands and becoming twisted over time and, and actually having the opposite effect is what happened. So what, what am I saying? I'm saying that they took those words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, and they, and they took those into their own hands, they twisted them, and they used them personally to 
uh, justify why they were doing what they were doing. And they would quote the law. I don't know about you, and it's a hard maybe concept for me to communicate, but when I, when I saw that, it hit me like a ton of bricks because the church today does the exact same thing. They, they, they understand the scripture or they'll read the scripture, or they'll know what it says, but then they twist it and they use it to justify their own sin. I don't even want to get into examples of that, but they do it. And that's exactly what these people Jesus was talking to, that's what they were doing. Taking the law, twisting it, and then using it to prove their point. By saying, you've heard it said, Jesus was essentially saying, you think you know what the law says, but you are wrong in how you've interpreted it. I've heard Christians quote this verse as their legitimacy to getting even with people. Jesus was saying the law said these things in a way, I mean, as to take vengeance out of the hands of the private person and commit it to the magistrates or judges. When it was written in the law, it was for them to carry out the punishments. It was never intended to be used as a justification to hurt someone in the same way that you've been hurt. Someone lashes out at me, and then I want to lash out at them. How many have been there? And we've done it. You lash out at me, I'm gonna lash out at you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's in the word of God. It was never intended to be used as a justification to hurt someone in the same way that you've been hurt. Some of you are following me and some of you aren't this morning. I I understand, I, I apologize for not communicating it better. But when someone hurts you and then you hurt that person back or you hurt others because of your own hurt, I think that all falls in line with what Jesus is talking about here. You are not justified to hurt others because you've been hurt. You are not justified to hurt the person that's hurt you because you've been hurt. Just a little side note, there's a lot of talk in our nation today about social justice and there are lots of differences in opinions about what that actually means. And I want you to know the word of God is amazingly relevant. Don't forget in your quest to find your opinion about any social matter, don't forget to base those opinions politically or sociological, whatever they are, don't forget to base those off the word of God. And not off what the media and the popular trends are. The Bible is the Christian source of truth. You can't watch CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or anything like that and develop your opinion, really. You look at the Word of God, you look at what happened, hopefully you can find the facts. That's always the hardest part, isn't it? And then apply the Word of God and get to the truth. It's important to remember, too, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law was the old covenant that God made with man. By design, the old covenant didn't work. God knew it wouldn't work, but mankind had to figure it out on their own. I think it's important to say this. God didn't offer a new covenant through the shed blood of Jesus Christ because he failed in the first covenant. God doesn't fail, right? He just added the missing ingredients so that once and for all, mankind could understand that there is no way anyone can be holy enough to deserve God. 
I don't deserve God today. You don't deserve God. None of us do, except through the blood of Jesus Christ, who washes us white as snow, and we can stand pure before him. That missing ingredient in the old covenant was love. The kind of sacrificial love that Jesus showed us when he, like a lamb led to slaughter, willingly shed his blood and became sin itself and the object of God's judgment. He did that so we could be forgiven and have a way to heaven when there was no other way. So after letting them know they had been misinterpreting the intention of the law here, they would, that they would flippantly quote, Jesus, like we've talked about throughout this whole series, drops the shock and awe bomb of truth. He says, is that eye, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth stuff really going to get us anywhere? I mean, let, let me spell it out for you people, he says. Matthew 5, 39 through 42, he says, don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. I love the way the message puts it. Jesus is saying that retaliation shouldn't be a weapon within our arsenal. Did you hear what I said? Retaliation should never be a weapon that's in our arsenal. Those things need to be handled by those who have the job of dishing out those kinds of judgments. It, during the time of the, the Mosaic Law, that was the magistrates and the judgments. It was their job to dish those out. It had come to Jesus' time, and those peop, the people, the Jewish people who Jesus was speaking to, they were taking matters into their own hands and quoting the law to, to justify it. We do the same thing. We need to leave those things in the hands of those officials that have put, been put before us. And although these matters are not to be taken into our own hands, the punishments, again, spelled out on the law or by the law for the judges and magistrates to hand out are to be equal. That was the other reason he brought it out the way he did. Equal to the crime so that justice will be served. So I'm going to go someplace that it's really bad for me to go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let's say an officer of the law, a cop, shoots a person in the line of duty because they truly believe that their own life was on the line. Maybe it's dark, maybe they thought they were, someone was pulling a gun on them, and they turned and they fired and they shot. But it's found out later that their life wasn't actually in danger at all, and a person is dead at the hands of that officer. Now let's say another officer of the law who has, par, who has a particular hot temper and is racially skewed in his beliefs, miles, out about, miles off about it all the time, shoots an unarmed man unjustly, and as a, result, uh, as a result of those skewed beliefs, and a person, in this case, is dead at the hands of that officer. So you have the, the same result in both of those situations. There's someone who lays dead at the hands of the officer. Should those two be treated exactly the same? That's the question. Should the officers both receive the maximum sentence? Was one murder and one accidental killing? And I think one was an accident, the other was racially motivated. The law of Moses would take, out, would take all those things into consideration and they would, they would 
judge it on a case-by-case basis. Jesus was upholding that idea, but he was also saying that these things should be left in the hands of the authorities and that getting even shouldn't be our go-to. Getting even or retaliating against those that hurt us is a bad idea, is what he was saying. You know, there's a wise old saying that goes along with what Jesus was saying here. If everyone in the world practices an eye for an eye, the world will eventually become blind. Guys, we're living in a volatile world right now. People are so quick to become explosively angry and come at you on social media and even bring physical harm to others. I mean, I can't even believe how it is. I mean, something happens at a restaurant. How many have ever been in a restaurant and something happens? The cook messes up. The waitress drops your food. Brings out the wrong glass of water. Maybe you said warm water and they brought you ice water instead or something. And people go on social media afterwards and they just rip them apart. What is wrong with people? People make mistakes. It's okay. We live in this volatile world. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I talked about anger, but we are not to live in that place where we take revenge or getting even with people into our own hands. That's not for us. And I get it, the laws are not always just. The court decisions that happen are not always just. And even though the vast majority of law enforcement officers have right hearts and are really on the job to protect and serve, they're not always perfect either. So much revenge is inflicted on others because of misunderstandings. There's a lot of getting even going on because people jump on the bandwagon of someone else's hurt without fully understanding the truth, the full truth of the situation. It's exhausting watching these things unfold in the news, and especially when they are presented in such a skewed way. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about? A messed up world, you can't find out what's going on, it riles everybody up, gets people all to do things that they shouldn't be doing, and and what does the church do? Do they, They take sides, right? That's what we normally do. We take sides on things, all these things going on. We gotta remember what the apostle Paul said to the believers in Rome. Beloved, never, never, Avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So even when we feel that the justice system has failed us, when those that are supposed to be in our corner are not in our corner, uh, and, and trust me, I know how those feelings feel. Those feelings are real and they hurt, and they can bring us to the point of taking matters into our own hands. That's when we must remember that God is just. He will sort it all out in the end. There's those, those that are due their just reward, they're gonna get it. What, what makes us think that we are the, the hand of God to deliver justice to the individual, whoever that may be, when they've done something evil to us? And it will be far more severe than you or I could ever dish out when God dishes out the judgment. Revenge and getting even, retaliation for offenses com- committed against us, it's just not our job. That is not our job, church. And let me say it in a way that may bring freedom to some of you. It's not your responsibility. If we could live in a place where when people legitimately offend us and then we're like, you know what? It's not my job to take care of that. That's your job, Lord, and I'm leaving it to you. That's a great place to live. It's not easy, but it's a great place to live. 
That's not your responsibility. And I'm not saying that we all have to roll over when we're abused by others. We can follow the steps of reporting and doing what we must do to uphold the law. I get that. But understand if the result that occurs from you doing what is right doesn't satisfy your quest for justice, you have to leave it in the hands of God. You'll go crazy trying to make sure that justice is carried out in every situation and circumstance that you find yourself in. And and you yourself will wind up on the opposite end of the law of the land. Because when you retaliate, you end up getting pretty close to messing up yourself and probably will cross that line if you don't get rid of that resenting or resentment in your heart, those resenting feelings or however you say that. The missing ingredient to the old covenant was love. Jesus was the personification of love itself. With his coming came the new covenant. Love fulfills, not abolishes, the old covenant. It fulfills it. We can fulfill the law and the new covenant that we have with Christ by filling our hearts with love for those that lash out against us. And before you strategize on how you'll, even, you'll, you'll get even with that person who has offended you, before you take time and start planning it out how you're going to get them, Stop and ask yourself, what happened to them in their past that caused them to be this way? It doesn't excuse their offense. I'm not saying that. Or even unlawful behavior towards you. It doesn't, it doesn't excuse that. But it may just be the right question you need to ask to give you enough time to remember to love first and not just go to that place of retaliation. And church, I'm not saying this is easy. Every single person in this room has had moments where someone's come at them unjustly, has hurt them, has lashed out at them. But again, when you fill yourself with the love of Christ, love of Christ, love for Christ, the love of Christ, fulfillment of the law will be the result. Your love for Christ will not only help you in being able to let go and let God in these areas of getting even, you might just be able to share Christ with the person who is, blown, who, who is blown away by your self-control. I, I want to make this very clear, however. Jesus was not advocating for people to put themselves in harm's way or even just roll over and take abuse. That, that's not what he was saying. He was making the point that we, as those who bear his name, if you're a Christian, you bear his name. Did you understand that? Turn to your neighbor and say, you bear his name. As a Christian, raise your hand if you're a Christian. There's a few of you in here. It's good. If you identify as a Christian, I love that. Boy, I could talk right now. I mean, if you identify as a Christian instead of identifying as a cat or a whatever people are identifying today as, if you identify as a Christian, you bear his name. You bear the name of love. You bear the name of Jesus. Christ is in the word Christian. You bear his name. Don't take his name. Take his name in vain. And so we are to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of Christ. Jesus is always about redemption and he's always about reconciliation. He desires it, but it won't happen when retaliation is your go-to. Well, I don't ever want to reconcile that person. That. It's fine, you may not have to. I'm not saying you do. But that should always be, there should always be a door that you leave open for that to happen. If the other party, right? 
When those of us who bear his name refuse to get even, it opens the door to reconciliation, redemption, and restoration of, or within our relationships. Remember Biff and George? Not by my own decision did I refuse to retaliate. I, I had every intention to go for the jugular that day. But George stopped me in my tracks. I believe that if we will just leave it up to George or Jesus to bring about justice, whether it's here on this earth or later in eternity, he will do just that. He is the perfect judge and justice will be served. There's an element of this that when you retaliate, you're really telling God that he got it wrong. That he messed up. Well, 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 you, 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 put, the, you put the judges in place, you put the laws in place, the authority that you put, put in place, they didn't do their job, and so you failed, God. Did he? He didn't fail. You don't have to retaliate. He will take care of it. It might not be in your timing. It might be later, but it will be taken care of. One way or the other. Can you trust God that much? Because the second you say God got it wrong, who's God in your life? You are. When you take that position of you're wrong, God, I'm right, boom. You think you're God. Guess what got Satan kicked out of heaven? He thought he was as good as God. I never said to Biff, go ahead and kick the other side of my head. Or knock my books out of my hands again. But my problem stopped when I left it up to George. I, I do wonder what Biff would have done if, if I would have turned the other cheek and offered him my coat or... Here, kick this side. I, I, I wonder if it would have shocked him to the place of him changing his behavior willingly and not having to be changed through the justice dealt, about, dealt out by George. I would have loved to hear that conversation, by the way. I just never did. Church, what I'm saying is we need to endeavor to love. To love, because it's the fulfillment of the law. To turn the other cheek, to gift wrap our coat and give it to the one who stole our shirt. To respond in love instead of react with retaliation. Hard to do. Just like all this stuff. All these things we've been preaching about in the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very, very hard to do. But with the love of Christ, all things are possible. That's how you fulfill. You can't do it in yourself by being good enough. You can't just stop sinning because of willpower. You have to fill your heart with the love of God and then let him change you from the inside out. I don't know what someone's going through today, but this has been a very odd morning for me. I've just been burdened. As if there's someone who's just going through it, being attacked, being, maybe, I don't know, you're, you're in some kind of situation where someone is lashing out at you, abusing you, hurting you in some way, some, some form. I, I don't know. It could be a coworker thing. It could, I don't know. But an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's for God to take care of. That's him saying, 
I will carry out justice, and it will be the right kind of justice, and it will be just. It will be fair. It will be right. But you take your hands off of it and let me do it. You bow your heads for a minute this morning. And worship team, if you want to come up at this time. It's pretty early in the day. Pretty early in the morning right now. With your heads bowed, I just want to ask this question. How many in here are just struggling with someone or something coming against you constantly? Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. Don't, don't be ashamed. Everyone, I, I'm the only one who can see. Everybody's being good and keeping their eyes closed. And I can barely see because of the lights in my eyes. That doesn't mean turn them down, by the way. Okay, I see the hands. Hands all over. Could be a family member. Someone just railing against you. Maybe it's just the enemy you feel is coming in after you. And you want to retaliate somehow. I don't know how you retaliate against the enemy except by getting on your knees and praying. And letting God take care of it. Church, it's easy to fall into this, especially in the world we live in with all the social media, with all the stuff that goes on, with all the information exchange that happens. It's, it's so easy to fall into these things and be like, well, I will fight fire with fire. And again, let me say this. If you identify with Christ, if you identify with him, then love needs to be your theme. Love needs to be your motive. Love needs to be at the center of your being. That, that's, what, that's what being a Christian is all about. Retaliation is not a weapon that's in your arsenal anymore. I, I want to take it one step further and say this. Jesus never retaliated I want you to think about that for a second. The God of heaven stepped out and became man. He, was, he had all the power of God at his fingertips. He emptied himself of that. Doesn't mean he couldn't use it. It just means that he chose not to use all that power. But in any moment when they arrested him, when they beat him bloody, when they nailed him to the cross, when they hung him up and let him hang there for six hours, he could have retaliated at any moment. He could have called down the angels of heaven and just wiped everybody out. But he didn't do that. In fact, I believe that he didn't even say, God, you know, I'm, I'm, go- or, I, I'm going through this, so please just take away all the pain so I'm not feeling anything. I think he felt everything, and he did that by choice because he had to experience the punishment that we deserve. We deserve that punishment because we sin, and we do what's wrong, and we fail. That, but he didn't retaliate. That, that's the thing. We have this perfect picture of Jesus not retaliating. And, and sometimes we retaliate over the dumbest stuff that doesn't even matter. He was perfectly innocent. Wrongfully charged. Wrongfully abused. You want to talk about justice and injustice? 
That was an injustice, except he did it willingly because he loved us so much. That is our song, church. That's our heart. That's, our, that's who we are, the love of Christ. That, that's, that's, when you understand that, it changes you from the inside out. And everything we talked about in the Beatitudes becomes a lot easier to follow. Everything we talked about with anger becomes a lot easier to manage. Everything we talked about with lust and adultery and those kinds of things, that, that fornication, all that kind of stuff that so many people struggle with, it becomes a lot easier to deal with because you have the love of God on the inside of you because you've seen Jesus, you understand what he did for you, you love him so much that that stuff, holiness flows out of your life. That's the result. Divorce and remarriage and the motives of the heart that are involved with that, what we talked about last week and this week, getting even. All these subjects, they, they just keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again. If you have the love of God in your heart, that will be the fulfillment of reaching God's standard. Asking him in, letting Jesus be at the center, who is, again, personification of love. He was love itself. Love was the missing ingredient. And when we have that kind of love in us, man, we can fight the battle that we're supposed to fight. I picked a song to end this with today because I think sometimes we get in these retaliation battles. And uh, I wanted to sing this song differently. It's, it's this is how I fight my battles. That's the song. But how do we fight our battles? I want us to sing it and think about that. We fight them with love. We fight them on our knees. We fight them with praise to our creator and we let God take care of business because we're his. And it's not a responsibility. It's not even our right. Amen? So if that's your heart's cry, and you just need to have a moment with Jesus to just kind of get rid of that junk that might be in there, maybe it's one of the other subjects we talked about since we started this series. I don't know. But I want to give you a chance to respond. And we're going to sing this song, and I'm going to open up these altars you're able to come up here and worship. You're able to come up here and kneel. You're able just to respond to the message of God and say, look, Lord, I've been missing the mark. I need you. I need your love to refill my life so that I don't operate in the flesh anymore. That I don't operate in what I think is right, but I do what you think is right. And as we're singing that this morning together, if you feel like you need to come forward, please do it. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. There's just freedom. There's just freedom. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.